0: This is Tush, and I welcome you to Tushalicious Talk, an Oklahoma City podcast for titillating women, tantalizing conversation. And I thank you in advance for allowing me to be your one-stop-shop advocacy connection. Hello, hello, hello again. This is Jackie. Uh, Nicknamed Tush from the League of Women Voters of Oklahoma County. And today we have Tamaya Cox-Toray again, who is the executive director from Oklahoma's ACLU. And my question for her today is, are we still concerned with CRT or (laughs) not? Great question. That's a great question. Thanks for having me. Mm -hmm. And uh, what... It, have you been doing lately? Like not even related to CRT, but just the ACLU in Oklahoma.
1: What has the ACLU been up to lately? ACLU has been doing a lot of work and specifically monitoring what's been happening uh, at our Oklahoma State Board of uh, Education meetings. Many people may or may not know we have a superintendent who has been um, has been, in a sense, really trying to go after CRT. Um, going after trans students, going after educators, censoring educators, So we've really been monitoring to ensure that the free speech of all educators and students is protected. And that's taken up a lot of our time, as well as I'm sure uh, the listeners are aware of everything going on, what's happening with him. Yeah, I bet. I bet. And then we've also got the Stop Woke Act
0: going on in Florida. And I see all over Facebook and even I get the text messages on my phone that the ACLU in Florida is trying to combat a lot of the Stop Woke Act there as well. So. Um, if anyone doesn't know, I did uh, print out just like a little description, and both are from ACLU.org. <laughs> so the Stop Woke Act, um, it is the law, and it limits the way. Well, it's not the law. Well, is it the law? It's
1: the law. It is the, it's law. the law. Okay, order, right. It hasn't okay. been enjoined
0: yet, but it's the law. Okay, okay. So it limits the way concepts related to systemic racism and sex discrimination can be discussed in teaching or conducting training in workplaces or schools. And then on the ACLU website, it says that Dr. Dana Thompson Dorsey, who is the Associate Professor of Educational Leadership and Policy Studies at the University of South Florida in Tampa, she says students cannot learn anything that talks about one race being better than another race or one sex being better than another sex or that the United States is inherently racist or sexist. And so with that, it's like, if we were founded as a country that black people were three fifths of a person, how is it that we are not inherently racist? And then women didn't get their voting rights till 1920, it's barely been a hundred years. How are we not inherently sexist?
1: Like what is the other side of that argument? I mean, that's a great, we don't know the other side. I think it's really important to know that Florida gets a lot of um, press regarding that. But Oklahoma was actually the first state in um, in the country to actually pass these anti-CRT laws. Oklahoma and Florida back in uh, 2021 were kind of going back and forth to see who was going to be the first. And Oklahoma was actually the first. We're actually the first state to file a lawsuit against it. So we have the Stop Woke Act in Florida. Many people in Oklahoma may know it as um, House Bill 1775 or anti-CRT bills mm-hmm. law. So we have this in Oklahoma. This is happening in Oklahoma. Let's keep in mind and remember the history of Oklahoma, right? Oklahoma couldn't become a state until they agreed to pass Jim Crow laws, right? Like the State Bill 1, right? Senate Bill 1 is around Jim Crow and, and agreeing to uphill Jim Crow. Um, but I think it's just really important to recognize is the impact this has. So one time we, t- a lot of times people know this as like critical race theory and what that means. We are saying this is actually censorship, that we have a legislature that passed this law, a superintendent enforcing this law, as well as a governor that is censoring what kids can and should be learning. And we think like education and curriculum should be left to the experts and As we have seen with uh, Superintendent Ryan Walters and we've seen with Governor Stead, that they are not the experts on this. (laughs) By no means. By no means.
0: Okay. (laughs) (laughs) That was a lot. That was a lot, right? Yeah. I mean, it's a lot, but um, the teachers are the experts. So how do we stop the teachers from, from teaching if we're talking about critical race theory? and? even I was confused about what is the difference between critical race theory and the StopWoke Act, which mm-hmm. they seem to be the one and the same, yeah. just different writings, different bills, different
1: states, different yeah. uh, Congress within the states. That's exactly right, right? Like ultimately there was this big push, a national push about anti-critical race theory, anti-CRT, as if critical race theory does not provide some type of framework our theory to think about, for us to think differently on how policy and systemic racism plays in our everyday lives. That's simply what the critical race theory is. But this is not happening, right? Like we are not seeing these type of theories being taught in, right, kindergarten or even high school. These are upper level, even um, law school level theories, what well, the important part is, because with us, with Oklahoma House Bill 1775, so poorly written, mm-hmm. we are seeing schools like Edmond Public School putting a memo out saying you can't use the word diversity in their curriculum. Right. You can't use the word like white supremacy and white privilege in their curriculum because it's so poorly written. And how do we have like robust conversations, conversations. If we are scared to use words like diversity, like that's the shame, right? And that's the censorship that we talk about. And and, and unfortunately, who's, um, you know, the losers of all this are our children and our, our students and our teachers, because they're the ones whose um, a teacher's certificates are at risk. Mm-hmm. And students are not getting the comprehensive education that they deserve mm-hmm. because or they're, of they're these they're national not, policies. They're unable to think outside the box. Great, right, right. yeah. great
0: or challenge what they were taught at home. Exactly. And I'm not saying that kids should challenge what they're taught at home, but I'm definitely not saying that they should not challenge what they were taught at home. You know, as we grow into an adult, of course, we're Mm -hmm. supposed to come into our own and not necessarily, I hate to use the word brainwashed, but that's the word that's going around so much. We should not be brainwashed by society, but at the same time, we should not be brainwashed by our parents either.
1: You know, and I think what's really interesting is that even in these laws and the impact of these laws, these unintended consequences. And I think it goes back to your racism and sexism, how you started off the show was because what we are seeing again with House Bill 1775 allowing to go into effect, what's happening is that curriculums and teachings and books, predominantly from Black authors, LGBTQ authors are being pulled, right? From shelves of libraries because somehow they violate um, so we're talking about like Toni Morrison, right? That does not necessarily talk about race within her book and re- within her stories, mm-hmm. but they, we know that they are predominantly um, the main character of black women, and that's enough for these books to be pulled. Really, that's the shame, right? And that's I don't I, we're not talking about the true impact that we're seen by these laws, and that's why they're racist and sexist. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Right, that's tough. That's ir-
0: it is. I think about my daughter and some of the books that she reads, um, and there are gay characters in the books. And even when we watch TV, there are gay characters on the shows. So is that enough to get a book banned by just having a gay character? Or if the gay character was to speak about how they're feeling or the way that they feel like society is affecting them is that enough to get a book banned that is
1: and what we're seeing right what we're seeing is it simply if a if a student feels uncomfortable um that could be a violation of house bill 1775 What does uncomfortable mean, right? Like, if a student feels uncomfortable by the curriculum that is being taught, by the book that is being taught, my whole education, right? That is what I argue. I was like, no one (laughs) cared that I felt uncomfortable when I was in elementary school and we had slave day, Mm -hmm. right? Or when we have. Indigenous students. Or when the books only talk about slavery. Right. That right.
0: was it. You never learned about Marcus Garvey or Sojourner Truth right. or Ida B. Wells or anybody. Exactly. Just Martin Luther King. That was it. Yep, right. And slavery. And slavery. And Harriet Tubman.
1: Mm-hmm. And that's what I'm saying. So, But that's enough to create a violation of House Bill 1775. If a, if a student felt uncomfortable, they could talk to their parent. Their parent could file um, a complaint. And that's enough. And I say, well, how do we not weaponize this? If a student has a fallout with the teacher, Mm -hmm. could they simply weaponize this process, right? And this is putting the livelihood of the teacher at risk. If they have this violation of 1775, at the very most, their teacher certification could be revoked. Mm. So it goes further than this. We've
0: seen this in Oklahoma quite a few times already. Unfortunately,
1: we have. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, we have. And that's why it's important for all of us to be as fully engaged, because ultimately what we know is what we want is students to become a productive adult. And these are going to be people that we're hiring. These are going to be our caregivers. So we want them to have a comprehensive education mm-hmm. to be, you know, great members of the society that we all live in. And that's I, 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 we have a new legal fellow and he taught and I asked him, you know, why do you want to work for the ACLU or what, what's what's what is your goal? And he said, I came from a very small town and it was through education that I learned to open my mind because everyone looked like me. Everyone thought like me. And it was through education and books. And that's the role of school and education. And the idea that, you know, we are going to somehow censor what should be taught. I mean, it it infuriates me and I can talk about this forever.
0: (laughs) I always think about how they always teach you knowledge is power. Yeah. Until you get a little too much power. <laughs> yeah. Right. Then they don't want you with the knowledge because they don't want you with the power. So yep. the power to to go up against your parents if your parents have incorrect thinking. Mm-hmm. So um, as far as the ACLU goes, what does the process look like in Oklahoma, in Florida, all over um, for advocating against the Stop Woke Act mm-hmm. or the CRT laws, like from beginning to end. Can you explain that a little bit?
1: So I think there's two paths. I think that advocacy and the grassroots path really is that students and parents, um, teachers really need to talk about the importance of a comprehensive education mm-hmm. and talk about we are not afraid to have these difficult conversations we are not afraid to, um, you know, challenge how things are taught at our homes. And by speaking up and voicing out, what we are seeing at local school board meetings and what we're seeing at the State Board of Education, it's a very, you know, small minority of of, um, of people that are just the loudest that are able to kind of fill the void in talking about these, you know, why we don't need um, uncomfortable conversations. Mm-hmm. But students and teachers Um, and parents should really be speaking out. So there's one role. I think the other role that we believe that we took was that we filed a lawsuit, right? When the ACLU, along with other um, national organizations, took a look at the law, we believe it's unconstitutional based on equal protection and due process. And we argued that... that students deserve and have a right to knowledge. Like that is a fundamental right that we have is a right to education. And these type of laws are removing that and violating a student's right. Um, so just making sure that we support and, and students and, te- and parents feeling comfortable to be plaintiffs in these lawsuits mm-hmm. is one, is kind of one path. But I think what we hear all the time is that, Voices have to be loud and people need to hear from, you know, the everyday lives of Oklahomans, mm-hmm. not just the people that, you know, can go to the Capitol, um, not just the people that, you know, are are, are close, to the proximity to power. And those people aren't the only voices that should be heard and listened to. Right, right. So I read
0: something and I didn't write the uh, website down, but it was saying pretty much that not being able to read Uh, goes against your First Amendment
1: right of free speech. Can you explain that a little bit better? For sure. I think what we talk about is that the First Amendment is one of our fundamental rights that's protected. And when we have um, policies and laws in place that takes away from those rights, um, you know, those are obviously violations. But not only just takes away, but creates obstacles, right? If you are unable to read or you're unable to learn, um, and because obstacles have been been created by the government, right mm-hmm. by policymakers, that is a, you know, a violation of your of your First Amendment right. And that is one of the um, biggest tenets of the ACLU is protecting First Amendment rights. Even when that speech is something that we disagree with, right. Even when right. that speech is stuff that we don't like, uh, we have an obligation and a duty to protect that right.
0: So if the government is contributing to a means, that does not allow you to develop your voice, then that is a violation of the constitution. We
1: argue that censorship, right? As a violation. Wow. Mm -hmm.
0: That's pretty deep. (laughs) The article didn't explain it that good to me, but that's it. That's a very good synopsis of it. Um, And so I just want to ask like for you personally, Why do you choose to work for the ACLU? Like, why do you feel the fight is so important? Uh, Just of free speech. I don't want to say about everything because then we cut. I think we'd be here forever. (laughs)
1: Uh, But just for free speech within itself. Why is that important to you? And I think it just really comes from a background and growing up of of what we talked about. Knowledge is power, how powerful voices are and the idea that a government that we contribute to could censor and limit the words that we say or the things that we think, like, that's scary. That is some big brother stuff that I don't want to be a part of. Mm -hmm. And I think the ACLU has been one of the few organizations that have come out and said that First Amendment, there's a reason why free speech is the First Amendment, because the founders Not that by any means I'm beholden to founders, right? The founders of this country. But they thought enough of the First Amendment or of free speech to put that as the First Amendment, right? Like, I am very much of the mindset that we should be evolving and rethinking laws, even the Constitution, even as strongly as we hold on to the Constitution, that it shouldn't be stagnant, right? Like, I am not going to give up this one life we have lived Based on the ideas and thinkings of slave owners, right, and like slaveholders from hundreds and years ago, but I do appreciate that there is power in a government that does not create obstacles to the words that are said, and that's really what I um, I think. While I I appreciate the ACLU because they we have they, we have been uncompromising in that tenet from defending the right of KKK members to march in a parade, to, you know, defending President Trump most recently when he was removed from Twitter because of what he was saying. ACLU argued that that was a First Amendment violation of a publicly held um, company and actually disagreed with that move to deplatform President Trump, even though we have— collectively sued president trump over 200 times it's yeah. my, by no means do we agree with him right but we do believe that he still had a first amendment that's right first he amendment say right. what he needs to say exactly yeah. yeah
0: i agree with that totally um so not to put you on the spot yeah, but ahead. um so i y'all know that tamaya loves pens <laughs> <laughs> so i gave her this pen i went to this meeting in um oakland a couple of weeks ago, maybe like over a month now. Uh, Do you have it? I just want to read it and I want to see maybe if your opinion on even just the little thing, uh, the summarization that this pen came with, would that be something that's subject to CRT? And so um, it says the fire burn of 1878 and it says Um, the slavery of Africans and natives on St. Croix, didn't you just get back from St. Croix? Oh, St. Lucia. St. Lucia, okay. Was abolished in 1848. In 1849, a new labor bill was passed to regulate the working conditions of the free workers. Unfortunately, the free workers were to work on the same plantations without much or any improvement in accommodations, health care, or education. On October 1st, 1878, which was job change day, many of the workers gathered in Frederickstead, the western part of the island. After some commotion, the police brutality enforced a shutdown, causing one of the farm laborers, Henry Trotman, to be rushed to the hospital. Rumors started to spread that Trotman died in the hospital due to his injuries caused by police brutality. The rumor was claimed to be false. However, Free workers became even more unsettled and a riot began. The police officers and militia ran like the cowards they were and took shelter in the fort located in Frederickstead. The free workers attempted to attack the fort but were unable to break through the fort's defenses. The police then sent a snitch horseman to Christian Lid, the eastern part of the island, to deliver a message about the riot to the colonizers in charge. (laughs) So late that night, buildings were set on fire and businesses were looted. By the time the other colonizers arrived in Frederickstead the next morning, the riot had escalated even further. Over 50 plantations and most of the town of Frederickstead were lit on fire and burned down. Three women led the free workers in what is known today as the 1878 fire burn. And there's a little bit more than that. But I mean, this, I never... I've never heard of this before, and I knew that you would love it. And so that's why I asked for an extra pen for you. But um, even the words that are in there, colonizers, um, would that be subject to?
1: It, It could be. A concept that you could not learn about in school? It very much could be. Like, keep in mind, like, there were concerns that the Tulsa Race Massacre Would violate some aspects of 1775. Mm -hmm. Right. Like something that happened. This is not necessarily black history, but but Oklahoma history may not be able to be taught. Right. Maybe like the general part of it. But to talk about the racism, the military involved. Right. Um, uh, Of how government was involved in the killings of the massacre. So very much these concepts could be, could not be taught in some areas. Mm -hmm. And that's the shame, right? Like these are stories that we've never heard. right? And uh, for for a whole host of reasons that we've never heard. But the idea that we may not be sharing these stories because it could make someone feel uncomfortable Mm -hmm. could be enough for us not to learn the history of our country. Yeah.
0: And just the history of Oklahoma. Mm Because I say even in verbal history in Oklahoma, Mm -hmm. you hear so much that there were Black Wall Streets everywhere. Mm -hmm. Like Oklahoma was the hilly red dirt land that the white people didn't want Mm -hmm. when Western expansion was occurring. And so, you know, 1920s and even before that, the Trail of Tears, that's why it came to Oklahoma because nobody wanted the land. And so then Blacks got here and there were Hispanics that came here Mm -hmm. from, y'all know the, I don't know, I I say y'all know, but look it up for yourself, how Mexico the land of Mexico used to be versus what the land of Mexico used to be now. So there were Hispanics here, there were Mexicans here, there were Black people here, there were natives here, and there were an abundance of thriving societies. And so in black history, what I'm taught verbally is that the KKK and not just the KKK, but many white people, once they saw a thriving town and not just in Oklahoma, I've heard this about like Memphis and places in New York, Chicago, a lot of places. They would go in and basically kill all the black people or like in Tulsa, bomb the black people because they were um not happy that the money and the economic stability that the blacks or the Hispanics or Mm -hmm. whoever had built within themselves Mm -hmm. um, was so much of a a thriving, they weren't getting the money from it. Mm -hmm. And so then they went in and they took over the whole town. Now, that being said, I've never read that in a book anywhere. Right, right. So, And (laughs) And it's so
1: interesting you said that because that aligns very much with the new movie coming out, Flowers of the Killer Moon. With the Osage and that is um around um the Osage where um the Osage community here in Oklahoma was the um Osage tribe here in Oklahoma thriving rich had all the oil at one point it talk, thought be the richest people in the country this mm. tribe and uh colonizers and white folks heard about that and did ways of like um strategic, I don't know, but directed and intentional killing to gain that right. And, mm-hmm. and, and has true impact to some of the people and leaders and names that we know of today, right? So that is that is not by any means um, not a reality for many thriving communities that mm-hmm. were not white, mm-hmm. but we would never, we don't hear that. And more importantly, can we hear that moving forward because of, you know, bills like Stop the Woke Act and, and House Bill 1775?
0: Right, right. 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 Because it's, again, veiled to attempt silence. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, OK, we could go forever. Mm-hmm. Um, I want you to end this by telling us the ACLU's website and your contact information and donation information and so forth.
1: So to learn more about what the work the ACLU of Oklahoma is doing, please go and visit org. We are on all social media platforms under ACLU OK, and just a great way to follow and to make sure that we are um, we are doing what we're supposed to be doing. One of the things that's important for us is that we are um, a tool and a resource, but we also want to be accountable to the community. So, if there are things that we could be doing better, we want to hear from the community, and and that's the best way to um, be in touch is through the ACLU OK website.
0: Thank you, Tawiyah, for being here. I definitely, definitely appreciate you. And I definitely, definitely appreciate anyone who's listening. And have a great Thursday. Bye. Tushalicious Talk is part of the Breaking Ice, Building Bridges community podcast platform. Brought to you by Possibilities, Inc.